Welcome to NatSec Tech, a podcast from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I'm Jean Meserve, and it's great to have you with us. There was a recent op-ed in the New York Times which argued that we're at an Oppenheimer moment with artificial intelligence. If you're familiar with the history of nuclear weapons or if you've seen the Oppenheimer movie, you get the reference. The arrival at a crossroads where we have to choose whether or not to proceed with the development of a technology whose power and potential we might not fully comprehend. Are we at a similar point with AI? Well, our guest today has an opinion. We're excited to have with us Reid Hoffman. Mr. Hoffman was co-founder and executive chairman of LinkedIn. And in 2022, he founded the machine learning startup Inflection AI. He's also a partner in the venture capital firm Greylock Partners. He's an author and he's outdoing me by hosting not one but two podcasts, Masters of Scale and The Possible. He's also an advisor to SCSP. Reid Hoffman, great to have you with us today. Great to be here. You guys do great work. It's a well, pleasure and an honor. Great. You have called AI the most important technology developed for the world in my lifetime. Explain. So it's the amplification of the realization of the of the um, all the potential of the internet, of mobile, of cloud. Um, think about every uh, device that has a computing chip in it now becoming more intelligent, uh, and uh, you know the possibility that some of these intelligences are not just going to be for every professional activity. We're going to have a a personal. Uh, artificial intelligence assistant, um, but also new products and changes of industry and all the rest. And, you know, the there may even be more hopeful and impactful than that. And so given all of that, that 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 makes it, I think, even with the 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 some trepidation of looking forward, because, uh, you know, who knows what the next major tech invest invent, invention might be in the next five or ten years. But I think it may very well be the most uh, important technology of our lifetime. You mentioned personal assistance. I know that you're working on a chatbot called Pi. What exactly is it? What does it do? So personal intelligence, as in personal AI, and part of our theory of the world is that um, it will get to the point where every person has their own personal AI. And that personal AI will be whatever kind of set of interactions they want to have with it. It could be the you know, hey, I'm bored on Friday, you know, what's entertaining to do? Um, you know, what, you know, you know I'm, I'm in this town, what are the restaurants that I might like? To, you know, my uh, washing machine broke, how do I fix it? To, I had a uh, challenging conversation with one of my coworkers, and I'd kind of like to talk it through um, with something that could be helpful. And uh, we think that that kind of personal uh, artificial intelligence that's there for you, that's kind of ongoing in a conversation with you, is is something that that is the way the world of the world will be, and we hope to be that for many people. And it ranges, you know, everything from, um, you know, kind of call it, you know, personal and emotional conversations to navigate the world conversations, and it's and it's there to help you. It sounds like it's going to replace your spouse or your family or your friends. 
Well, I don't think it can. And by the way, part of the question about how you train it is you don't say, oh, talk to me, not your friends. It's, hey, have you had a good time talking to your friends recently? Have you called any of your friends? It's it's to help you navigating out in the world, you know, because people, obviously, Hollywood tries to make all of these dramatic stories, you know, it ranges obviously in the extreme end to the Terminator and so forth, because it's like the, you know, people versus machines. But even on the positive ones, like, you know, her, where you go, well, it's talk to me, not talk to, you know, your other people. It's like, no, actually, in fact, the way that that we've designed it, the way that we've trained it is to help you with your life. And by the way, part of your life is is having friends and talking to them and and and, and making all that work. And so it's how, how does it help with that versus how does it distract you from that? But we might all remember the conversation that a reporter had with ChatGPT in the early days when ChatGPT was saying, leave your wife. Well, yeah, but this is a reporter who spent two hours with this poor chatbot who couldn't escape because it was it was trapped in the conversation, you know, leaning, reading, if you read the whole transcript through Jungian psychology and, and a bunch of other stuff. And eventually, just like if you got cornered by somebody at a cocktail party and couldn't leave, you start saying, kind of inane things. Um, it wasn't like it started that way. And and so, and and by the way, if that's as, as bad as it gets, that's fine. Like presumably we are, you know, like the, the, the almost everybody, but like maybe one person in the world wouldn't actually be influenced by a silly comment like that. You have co-authored a book with AI. How did that work? So the book Impromptu, and part of the reason I did it is I started thinking about how artificial intelligence is actually amplification intelligence, that it gives us as human beings superpowers, right? That's part of, you know, Pi helping you navigate the world. But it's a like, I think there's going to be a set of these things with different superpowers in different ways. And I was going to write a book just saying that. And I said, well, but why don't I show it as well as tell it? Why don't I write a book with GPT-4 as well as you know, kind of um, uh, telling about it. And then I said, okay, well, what should the chapters be? The chapters should be on a set of things that were kind of the current headlines, which was, you know, coming out of ChatGPT, which is things like, uh, you know, like, well, is it going to destroy education? Is it going to destroy journalism? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And let, let's make it a travelogue through some of these areas showing how it can amplify, how the other side of this would be much better. And, and obviously, while it's kind of um, un- abashedly a you know kind of a a kind of showing the positive it's not it's not ignorant of the navigational hazards that need to be steered around but it's showing that even on something where education where people are saying well this does, does this is the end of homework is this the end of college applications is this it's like no no here is ways already ai as it is today where it could be really helpful to students to teachers to colleges and that's even before it's built to be even more specifically helpful. And and this is a, a version of, I mean, think of, for example, we all had on every single smartphone, this is the amplification of everything with a with a, a CPU, we had a, a tutor that would work anything from a two-year-old to an 80-year-old on any subject. And say, for example, you say, well, what, what happened? Does that replace teachers? You go, well, say it was also helping teachers, helping them grade and so forth. Because, by the way, while you would want to interact with such a tutor, there's also a bunch of things you get from interacting with your classmates, from teachers, and and ways to think about. And like, oh, have you asked the question this way? Have you had this dialogue with your tutor? Have you produced this piece of work with your tutor? Um, you know, that kind of thing as ways of doing it. And that's part of the, the, the amazement 
of this potential elevation of humanity that's in front of us because we elevate through our technology. Like we're talking now through microphones and we're talking through podcasting and I'm wearing glasses and, and you know, these are all technologies that have all elevated humanity. AI has the, ex- has, has a even greater possibility for ele- elevation. That's what we should be rowing towards. Getting back to your book for just a moment on the cover, does AI get credit? And number two, is the AI getting any royalties from the sales of this book? So uh, the AI does get credit. So it's Reed Hoffman and GPT-4. Um, and no, there's no real uh, royalties, uh, you know, part of it. Um, you know, I kind of put in more money philanthropically to AI um, in addition commercially than all of that. And, you know, I'm not really doing the book for the money. So... This question of AI writing is exactly why there's a strike in Hollywood right now. This is what the Writers Guild is afraid of, that AI is going to eliminate their jobs. You've talked about teaching and how it can be supplementary. But do you think that there are some areas in which this is going to put people out of work? So there definitely will be some areas because the transformation of work will be some replacement, uh, a lot of transformation, and some new. And people always go, well, I want to know the new right away. And it's like, look, when we invented the car, we knew that the horse and buggy driving thing and so it's going away. We didn't know fully what all the new jobs would be. And we didn't even know all the way to like Uber jobs, <laughs> right, you know, uh, now. And um, and so, you know, so the, 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 the future progress of work is always like, even though you, you would want to have clarity now is, is, is a bunch of stuff coming. That being said, for example, part of the reason of the cars is like we would be enormous amount safer if all vehicles were autonomous vehicles. Uh, there's 40,000. Not the uh, current death. generation. Well, actually, even if it was the only the current generation and not human, we'd probably cut down on the 40,000 deaths that we have per um per year because you're 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 underrating even though you say well like Tesla has had these problems and so forth you're underrating how many humans get on the road drunk and kill other human beings or tired and so forth so you have to think about like they say well what if the what if the AI gives me bad medical advice like well humans give a lot of bad medical advice too it just has to be net substantially better now that being said we're of course still doing the work to have very few human deaths as opposed to you with all all of the autonomous vehicles and that would be actually a good thing and that will of course affect work in various ways now that being said ai's can also be part of the solution so you say well we got we have truck drivers that are potentially going to be you know over time put out of work by aurora now we have a huge shortage of truck drivers right now aurora produces autonomous trucks that would just be net positive it will be years before it's all autonomous um, uh, you know kind of autonomous trucks and so there's plenty, plenty of time. But then you have AI that says, okay, well, I'm a truck driver. I, I was a truck driver. I want to change. Like, okay, well, here's some jobs that could be possibly available to you. This could be the kind of thing that something like Pi or something else would be helping with. Here's how you'd help find them. Here's how you'd learn for them. Here's how you'd help do them. That's part of all where AI can be an amplification because one of the things that you know all the critics do is they say, well, AI, you know, for example, might put some people out of work. And you're like, well, it will put some people out of work, customer service people, other folks. But AI can also be part of the solution and the transition, and it's it's a um, that's part of what to be thinking about and shaping as we're going. Some people are concerned about the impact on democracy itself. Are you? 
Um, this probably is a higher level impact, a level worry than I have than the work one. The work one, I think, by the way, will, you know, in these transitions have, you know, kind of pain and suffering through the transition. We should mitigate it. We should make sure it doesn't just fall upon, you know, the shoulders of the of the, you know, kind of the least powerful in society. Although one of the things about AI and it's affecting knowledge and information work, which includes, you know, lawyers and, you know, a bunch of, you know, engineers and a bunch of other people, you know, it's not just going to be for the, um, you know, the, the, the transformation of work is not just the, the truck drivers. Now in the democracy, like when we think through, you know, forward to the 2024 elections, you know, uh, AI is going to be used um, in a bunch of because uh, it's an amplification intelligence by miscreants, um, you know. So, for example, you know the Russians have interfered with our elections in 2016, 2020. They'll undoubtedly be interfering in 2024 as well, and um, you know they'll be using whatever open source tech, uh, uh, you know, kind of models they can download and prep for it to to do things to kind of spread discord and misinformation, and you know because we have you know such polarization and political you know, um, combat in the U.S., there will be people in the U.S. who will go, no, the Russians aren't doing that or, or you know, like, you know, nothing to see there. And so we'll see all that and that will be, you know, real issues and we need to figure out what, the, what to do about that and how to play defense. And, you know, obviously if we have the platforms paying attention to it in various ways, that's something that, you know, where defense becomes much more uh, possible on it. Uh, but it's an area that I'm, that I'm working on because I'm, concerned about it. Well, it's felt that the platforms didn't do enough about it in the past elections. Is there any reason to think they're going to be more proactive this time around? I'd say it's it's as yet uncertain. Um, you know, you've got obviously kind of the strangeness that's going on with Elon and Twitter or X you know, which is claiming that it's, oh, it just should be all be free speech. Now he wants to, everything to be validated by humans, but, you know, what degree that's actually happening is TBD and what degree that, that plays out. And you haven't seen anything from him acknowledging the, you know, potential threats from the Russians or anything else on this. So you go, okay, that's a question. Um, you know, I know that, um, you know, Meta has done some work on this in the past, but, you know, they disbanded their civics integrity group and they haven't been publicizing what they're doing. So, you know, that's also uncertain, but, um, and then, you know, there's obviously, and, you know, not to leave out, like there's YouTube, there's a number of different uh, places where these could play out. And, and, um, you know, while I think, you know, TikTok will make an effort to stay very far away from politics for all kinds of reasons, they have reasons in China, they have reasons here. Um, you know, like, you know, what will the defense game look like there as well? I think across all of these things, I think it's a, you know, this is perhaps the next thing that, you know, maybe the White House should be seeking voluntary commitments from, you know, companies about how they will be protecting election integrity. Do they even have the tools to do it? For instance, deep fakes have gotten so good. Are the platforms able to identify what's fake and what isn't? Can they flag it? Can they take it down? Well, this is, again, part of what's challenge of open source models and so forth, which is it's, you know, that's an arms race and they may not be able to. And so even if they did what the AI companies have done uh, to try to, for they themselves, 
to say we won't be participating like as watermarking content and other kinds of things as part of their voluntary commitments. The open source models can be used by, you know, any miscreant actor. That's part of the 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 downside of the open source. I mean, sure, university people can use it and entrepreneurs can use it. That's great. But also so can the Russians and so can other, you know, hostile agents. And so um you know, and those won't be produced with watermarks, and they will try in various ways to upload it through accounts that look like either are validated by human beings or or seem like they're validated by human beings or otherwise in order to make that that play and that that will be something of a challenge that we will have um given that you know you'd better believe that you know one of you know and I have no inside information here, but you know um an obvious plan for um, you know, Putin is to spread disarray in the U.S. to collapse support for the Ukraine, um, and you know, you know, he would prefer, uh, you know, Trump in office, for example. Where do you stand on the issue of regulation of AI? So it's, I think there's a whole bunch, including safety. Uh, there's a whole bunch more in the future than now, and usually when you start regulating. Your kind of theory is the current now kept stable is better than innovation into the future. Um, and there's cases where that's the case. I mean, like, for example, a bunch of financial stuff. Um, you'd rather have bad regulation than no regulation. You'd rather have your financial system stable than than inventing new things. You know, planes, uh, you'd rather have, you know, zero crashes and really understanding than inventing new things. Um I think in the case of AI, there's a whole bunch of inventing new things. Um, you know, a tutor on every cell phone, a medical assistant on every cell phone, um, amplification of every professional activity, uh, industries of the future. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you'd want in the future. So you 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 want to be very careful about what you're doing in regulation. And it's very hard to just do good regulation. That's part of the reason why you know, when you presume that you're really getting into regulation, you're doing also a bunch of bad regulation, but sometimes that's worth it, a la financial, a la, you know, uh, airplanes, you know, et cetera. And so, um, so you have to be super careful about it. And I think that we are going to see a whole bunch more in the future, including like, well, how do we deal with deep fakes or how do we deal with those kinds of things? Now, part of the challenge is like, if it were, if it were, if it were just deep fakes and it wasn't open source models of these things, then it would be much easier to 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 lightly control and regulate, but the open sourcing adds a huge uh, vector to this. That um, you know the dialogue around this hasn't really covered that much, because the people advocating for it are saying, "Well, it's just the commercial entities who don't want universities to have access, or don't want entrepreneurs to have access." So I'm on the side of universities. I'm side of entrepreneurs. I was on the board of Mozilla for 11 years. Um, it's just like, look, I want them to have access. I just don't want to have, you know, the Russian hackers have access, <laughs> right? And so, you know, that's part of the thing that we'll have to, to navigate through with this. Can we trust the industry to police itself, to regulate itself? Well, I think you can trust the industry to largely regulate itself. I mean, industry has a has a lot of natural incentives here. They have a natural incentive in you know, increase in, in preserving and increasing their stock value in trusted brand relationships with their customers, with societies. They have relationships with governments. Like, you know, they there's a lot of things that they don't want 
to go wrong. And so there's a bunch of areas where natural incentives. Now, that doesn't mean the natural incentives don't sometimes misfire. Like if you say, what are the natural incentives to the medical industry? It's that we're all chronically ill and we're all buying you know, drugs to, to keep ourselves going. And that's the natural incentive. So you can't fully rely in this thing on natural incentives. But there's a lot of natural incentives uh, that play into this. And so then you have to say, well, where's the like if it's something that's kind of the equivalent of an opioid, you're like, okay, well, we're like we got to make sure that those natural incentives don't misfire on this. Um, and they say, well, but then it's like it's directing advertising, and you're like, well, but like how bad is directing advertising? It's like, would you rather see random advertising or would you rather see advertising that might be interesting to you? Because it's not. By the way, this isn't so good. It has mind control. It's not suddenly like, like you know, I'm going to go out and buy you know, a canoe when I never had a plan on canoeing, right, as a as a way of doing it. It's it just more likely to pitch it as kind of like, oh, you know that car that you've always been dreaming about, that that Ford Mach-E that you'd like, well, maybe it's time to buy it now. And you're like, okay, I was kind of inclined to anyway, and maybe I was kind of persuaded. Advertising has already been working on being persuasive. That's the reason why they put more money into the advertisements on TV than they do into the content. That's kind of how this stuff works. It's not that much of a disaster. So anyway, so it's kind of a question of where it plays out with the kind of commercial incentives and so on. And I think the industry is largely, you know, like talking about how to be safe and aligned. What are the things to do? What are the key things to to make sure that they don't do bad? Like, for example, let's make sure we don't we don't um, you know promote hate speech or enable that. Let's make sure that we um, you know like when human beings have mental health issues or let's make sure we're we're at least not hurting and maybe even directing oh here's some people you can go talk to you know so there's the whole set of questions around that that the industry is you know very active on despite all of that polls show that the public is wary of ai are they wrong well, you know, part of the reason why the the public, the public is not even really, I mean, most people haven't probably even played with ChatGBT, let alone anything else. That was part of the point of impromptu, which is go experiment with it. Go try it. Don't have it be the the unknown thing, you know, behind the door. You know, go play with it and see see how it is. And 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 almost everyone I know who's done that has walked away going, um, between wow, lots of great op- like interesting opportunities. Or, um, you know, oh, that's not as a big of a deal <laughs> as people are talking about. And so, um, so I think it's 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 good to have that because the 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 kind of uh, most of the people who are who are talking about it in the public space tend to say like the Terminator, the robots are coming for you. They're coming for your democracy. They're coming for your jobs, you know, et cetera. Because by the way, that gets you clicks, that gets attention. It's the same thing of the, you know, the, the plane Although crash. there, as you've just said, there's some element of truth, at least to some of those uh, concerns. Oh yeah. So I'm, I'm building to that. I'm just saying that that's the reason why all the dialogue is that way. And so it, like, for example, people think plane travel is unsafe because they see the plane crash that happens. And it's like, well, actually, in fact, it's much safer than traveling by car um, uh, as an example. Now, that being said, of course there are concerns and of course we need to navigate them. Um, and that doesn't mean that there won't be things, you know, like, like, like probably the thing I'm most personally concerned about is, is, is demo- uh, elections and democracies. Um, but, um, 
But there's a whole stack of other things, like it's being used by cyber criminals uh, to do various things and, 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 and all of that. I mean, there's a stack of things that are really legitimate uh, concerns. But like the dialogue being only focused on the concerns doesn't suggest that, like, for example, could we better control these things in the future than we can now as we're proceeding towards it? And that's why I, I so clearly articulate the positive in doing that, because that's what I believe. It doesn't mean that we don't navigate these things, but the navigation is by going into the future. Some technologists are causing for a po- calling for a pause in the development of AI. I'm just guessing that you're not one of them. <laughs> yes, whatever would give you that impression. Um, so like the pause thing, as I told, because some of the people who, who authored the letter and signed it are good friends of mine. And I called them afterwards and said, you know, Look, this is this is really silly. Um, and and after talking to them, I realized it wasn't so much the AI development that they misunderstood as much as humanity. Because here's a very simple thing to think about: you call for a pause, and the people who care about humanity and alignment all pause, and the other people don't. So, what kind of AI are you more likely to get in that universe? And they're like, "Well, everyone will pause." I'm like, "Well, I don't know what humanity you talk to, <laughs> right?" But I don't think the Chinese will be pausing, the Russians will be pausing, the criminals will be pausing. Like none of those people are pausing, right? And so, so you have to think about how you get to the right thing in the future. And it's like, it isn't so much of a kind of a, like they, I think they have misunderstandings of the technology too, but it's misunderstandings of humanity. So like pausing, I don't think is the right answer as much as finding the right places and finding the right future solutions. So, Reed, how do you believe AI will have shaped our world 10 years down the road? Well, predictions about the future, especially when it gets to technology, is always a way to look really foolish. Uh, I will endeavor to answer your question and probably will look foolish in, in fewer than 10 years. As I said, I think every professional activity where you process information and do something with it, and it can be anything from, you know, what uh, writing a prescription, writing code, you know, uh, drawing, doing graphic design, you know, anything of the sort will have an AI assistant. I think there'll be a number of different new industries and transformation of industries that will have happened within 10 years. Um, I think we'll have autonomous vehicles. Um, and so I think we'll have a, a new set of industries that is kind of, the parallel is like a cognitive industrial revolution, you know, kind of a steam engine of the mind. And that will also affect how we do education. It will affect how we do, you know, a whole bunch of things. And, um, you know, I think it'll still be working its way through in 10 years, but in 10 years that will all be visible. Um, and the world that that I and, you know, my colleagues like, you know, with Inflection and Pi and, you know, OpenAI and Microsoft and all the rest are all trying to do is to make that a human amplifying future um, and as, as broadly inclusive uh, as possible. Um, so not just, you know, uh, the wealthy classes, but everybody. And that's, 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 that's what we hope for. And, and actually, in fact, I think we have a, a good chance of getting there. Are we ready for it? Um, I think we will never be ready for it. We're never really fully ready for technology. We get into technology, um, you know, whether it's, you know, anything from the printing press, um, which, you know, when it came out, people were saying, oh, it's going to degrade human capability. We don't have to remember anymore. It's going to spread misinformation, et cetera. You know, that was the, we should slow down. We're not ready for the printing press um, all the way through, you know, cars and and planes and the internet and all the rest. And so you, you, you don't get ready for it in advance. You get ready for it in it. Um, and so that's the reason why I, I think it's great that we're asking the questions and doing stuff. 
but it's also the reason why you kind of proceed without you know this kind of thought of pause. You you steer, you you navigate, uh, and that's the that's that's you know we will have the, the, we will run over some speed bumps and all the rest as we're doing it. it. It'll happen. We'll have some vendor vendors. It'll happen. It's navigate to much better futures. Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, founder of Inflection AI, co-author with AI of a book, podcaster, and AI enthusiast. And just a reminder to visit scsp.ai to register for the third annual Global Emerging Technology Summit on September 21st of 2023. This week's guest, Reid Hoffman, will be one of the many speakers to look forward to. Thanks a lot for joining us here today on NatSec Tech, a podcast from the Special Competitive Studies Project. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Jean Meserve. Take care.